And so I'm going to stop now and we'll, we'll try and take uh, some questions and I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll get some hands and I'll answer as many questions as I can for like the next, I don't know, hour or so, it will, or as long as people want to stay on. Again, we're going to have this recording. I believe it'll be up on um, the LA Intergroup events uh, feed. We have uh, a number of different events. We have the regular podcast and then there's the events uh, podcast and then there's the birthday party podcast. And this will be up. It probably may take a few days, especially because yeah, I hope nobody minds, but we're probably going to, well, that's right. It's going to be audio, so it won't matter, but we'll, we'll, we'll edit out all of the, uh, the time when we were dealing with the uh, spammers. So I'm going to ask, and uh, again, uh, when, when, uh, when I asked, what? This, this is Jeff. I'm sorry, hey, Jeff. but I'd like to suggest because I've muted everyone without the ability to unmute, just in case our friend is still with us. And so uh, what it, when you go to call on someone, just hover over their uh, person yeah. and participants and hit unmute. You can do that. And that's probably the most efficient way to do that. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff is our Zoom master. So, <laughs> okay. And, and like I said, just sort of. Great job, apparently. I apologize to everyone for what's going on, by the way. Yeah. Well, we're going to figure this out one of these days. Just about the time that COVID ends, probably. But uh, if it ends. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I'm going to call on you, and if you could, um, uh, when you come on, just if you want to introduce yourself and where you're from, you can. If you don't want to, you can say anonymous or something. If you want to tell us where you're from, you can. And just please, if you could try to uh, enunciate, to make sure everybody can hear you well. So the first person I have, um, I realize I, uh, is, is uh, Casey from Minneapolis. I realize I'm calling on people's names, so but there's no last name. So, Carrie, do you want to share? Any questions? If not, we'll move on. This, some of these could be left over from when we were uh, doing stuff Carrie, before. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. This is Carrie C. I'm a compulsive reader in Minneapolis. Um, thank you so much, John. Thank you for sharing your experience today. Um, so I, I've been in relapse for about four years. And um, I, I resent, I resent when people in the rooms tell me that I need to, that I haven't, I'm not hurting enough because I've lost everything to this disease. So my question for you is, this is my cycle. I get really, really desperate and I reach a bottom and I'm willing to go to any lengths and I go to meetings every day and I take all of my yellow foods and I put them in the red food light list and I'm super structured and I'm so desperate. And then I eat a lot of the same foods over and over and again, like a, a, set, a set of a handful of foods. And I go and I talk to a professional, some of whom understand OA. And it's like every, pretty much every therapist or dietitian I've met with over the last five years has told me that I'm too rigid and that I don't have enough flexibility in my food and that my food plan is not sustainable. Somewhere between hearing that and me being a hundred pounds heavier, I, I, I spiral out of control. And so, um, I'm really scared that my dietitian and therapist is telling me right now, like, Carrie, you're super rigid. Um, you need to, so 
right now I'm in the food. I can't trust my sick brain. I know that. I know that. So, um, but I'm so afraid of spiraling again. I can't go any lower. And so when I'm in my disease, I'm in my sickness and the professionals are telling me, Carrie, you need to allow yourself some flexibility. How do I receive that without it being my, my, my disease giving me permission to eat whatever I want, because that's what happens very quickly. So I don't know how to be teachable from the people professionals without it being permission, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does a lot. And I think there, there can be uh, a line in between those two. In other words, you know, you, you know, it really helps sometimes to explain to dietitians uh, what our disease is about in real detail. Uh, uh, aside, I get kidded, I get kidded in, in AA about being in OA. You know, they minimize it. They think it's always oh, stupid. Yeah, what are you going to find you in the gutter with a bag of Twinkies or something? And I tell them, hey, you want to know what it's like to be a compulsive eater, Mr. Alcoholic? I want you to go have a glass of whiskey for breakfast. That's all, just for breakfast. Go have a glass of whiskey for lunch. That's it have a glass of whiskey for dinner. That's it. That's the kind of thing we have to deal with. Again, it has to do with your specific foods, but you get my idea. What you can do is, is, is sort of explain that to them and say, look, come to them with a list. I'm sure you can make up a list of various foods you can eat and go over it with them, but make sure it's a good list. It isn't just five foods. Make it a pretty broad list that you can have. You know, uh, these proteins I can have in these quantities. I can have these vegetables. If you can take starches, these are little starches I can have in these, you know, quantities. And maybe you make three columns or something like that. And if you don't do sugar, you leave it off. If you want to give yourself, you know, it's, it's up to you whether, you know, maybe it's fruits or something like that. And then go and, and go over it with them and say, here's my plan. One from column A, one from column B, one from column C, and maybe a dessert from column D for dinner. This is what I'm going to do, you know, for, 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 um, you know, for breakfast and lunch. I can tell you I've had the same breakfast five to six days out of seven from God knows why I'm back. I eat grape nuts, put some raisins on it. That's my breakfast. For a long time before I started working as a drug and alcohol counselor, I worked from home. I would have the same thing every day. I'd have hot, hot dogs and sauerkraut. That was my thing. If you get bored with that, then that's fine. I found certain foods. I'm, it's like part. Of, sometimes it's about, I just want to be done. I got to get back to my day. I can't turn this into this huge ritual. And so maybe trying to find something in between where you say, look, look, look at this list. Does this sound good? Help me look at all this. And give me this menu from which to choose, not just say, oh, go do what you think is right. Don't, don't make yourself, uh, you know, don't hang yourself in. It's very easy for somebody who doesn't have our disease to say, it sounds logical. It's like me telling a compulsive gambler, well, why don't you just not gamble? <laughs> you know, I get that that's not going to work, but it helps me sometimes to think that way, to think, you know, that's one of the ones I didn't get. And, it, you know, the logical person says, well, you so I don't know if that helps, but I, I'd suggest maybe trying to find that, that thing in the middle. All right, I have Trisha B. next. Trisha, I'm unmuting you, or I'm asking to unmute you if you're there. Trisha B., are you there? Trisha B., I feel like I'm a DJ. Is the caller there? <laughs> 
All right, we'll come back to Tricia. I have Carrie. There we go. Oh, there we go, Tricia. Yeah, it wasn't unmuting. Okay. Hi, I'm, I'm Tricia. I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your shares and, and lessons. Um, my question is regarding that willingness circle. That you said that you had a website that we could access that. Oh, yes. I, I thought I said that, but if I didn't, okay. Uh, the list of the list of things our disease says is is oalaig dot org front slash lies dot pdf, and that circle one is the same thing oalaig dot org front slash willingness dot pdf, and that's all lowercase. Great, thank you, you so can... very much. Okay, thanks, Tricia. I meant to say that. You're right, I goofed. I have Carrie H. Carrie H. Hey, Carrie. Hi. Hi, John. Hi. Can you all hear me? Yep. Yep. Hi. Um, thank you so much for your lead. It was amazing. I really needed to hear it. Um, I am in relapse. I celebrated all one year, my birthday, and then promptly lost my abstinence. Um, I guess one of my biggest questions is when you talked about the voice that you hear, whether it's your voice of your higher power versus the voice of the disease. And it's like the voice sometimes says, you're being too hard on yourself. You can eat that because I'm coming from a diet mentality of like, whatever you do, don't eat. And now OA is sort of flipping that script and saying, it's okay to eat that, uh, but make a loving choice. And I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of still a toddler in this program. I'm just trying not to like fall on my face and bump into stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you tell those those two voices apart how do you make that quote unquote hear that loving voice that spiritual choice like how how does that happen for you i you know obviously that thing about the um uh you know making the loving choice okay uh, two things i'll say about that first of all uh, one of the other things i used to always say to myself oh i can't be on a diet well you know what we're all on a diet aren't we i i've been on a no liver diet since i left my mother's house right no liver sorry ain't gonna happen and um but in terms of um gosh where are they going with this uh in terms of of oh gosh just I just zoned out. I went I went down a side road and then uh, I got I got uh, stopped again. <sighs> Remind me again just of the last part that you said. Sure, just the basically like the difference between that spiritual and loving choice. Yes. Yeah. Um, again, the the one thing that has to be done is the I I have to get. I'm an addict. I like to use the word addict because it really does fit. When it comes to the food, because the definition of addiction I learned when I went through drug and alcohol training is addiction is doing something that is harmful to you that you know is harmful to you, but you do it anyway. Right. I have to keep that first and foremost in my head. Now, can I make balance on that? It was just like I was saying to Carrie, to a certain extent I can, but I also have to know where that line is. There was a lady out a couple of years ago. She was speaking of mindfulness. She wrote this thing called Mindful Eating. I think her name was Janine Roth. And uh, God bless, that works for non-addicts. Oh, you can eat and, and just be careful. Eat slowly and you'll stop when you're full. You know, I, I used to do, a, when I do comedy in a way, I, I talk about a, a song parody called What's Full Got to Do With It? You know, and because the reality is, you know, full doesn't have to do. So I have to find that fine line where I 
I say, yes, I want to eat healthy. I know that, but I do also have to watch out because, again, I have the disease of perception. You know, it changes my perception. I think I'm doing a perfectly logical thing. Jim thought he was being perfectly logical, putting the whiskey in the milk. Thank God Jim can say, oh, I can't have whiskey at all. But we have to find an even finer line of, well, I think I can have that, but I have to be careful. And there, you know, there are going to be, I don't mean to say, by the way, that you have to take everything on your yellow light list and it becomes red light forever. But to be able to bring them back one at a time and be able to observe, oh, you know, I had this and I'm starting to think about it again. I mean, one of the great things my disease would do is the ones that were easy is if I eat it and I go, oh man, I want some more of that. I want some more of that. That's easy. It's the one that I have. And then I say, I'm going to see, I think I can handle this. And 30 days I say, okay, I'm going to try it again. Oh yeah. See that? I can handle that. And then three weeks later I have it again. Oh yeah. I can handle that. Two weeks later, one week later, boom, it comes back because our disease will always be as imperceptible as it needs to be so that we don't get it. You know, we, we, if it knows we're going to, we're going to not, you know, accept go binge, it'll find the way. Again, it's like a salesman. He'll just keep backing up to find out where he can get a foot in the door. And so, yeah, you can have that kind of mindful eating thing and be careful, but you also, in the back of your mind, you also have to say, I'm an addict. I have decision-making problems. And that's why I really recommend not only professional, but a sponsor. And if you got a question, talk to them. You know, my sponsor has less time than I have, you know, uh, every, and I sponsor somebody who has more time than me. It's at a certain point, it's not about anybody being dictatorial. It's about having an objective third party you can bounce ideas off of, you know, say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of having this. And a sponsor could say, hey, well, you remember the last time you did that? You ended up face down in the food, <laughs> you know, so maybe you might not want to do that. And that's the only kind of sponsor I can have. I can't have one that says, don't do that, because that won't work. You know, I always say, if anybody wags their finger at me, they, you know, they get a broken finger. <laughs> you know, so I, I hopefully that helped. And uh, I'm going to move on. Hey, Greg L. again. How you doing, Greg? Okay. Hey, thanks, John. Yeah. Question for you. And I raised this before about being at a healthy weight. And I assume you're kind of been about the same weight for a while. Uh, I thought a few months ago, well, my gym closed down, so I couldn't use the scale. And I will never weigh on a different scale. I will never weigh at a different time of the day. I will never weigh, weigh using heavier yoga shorts than lighter <laughs> yoga shorts. I mean, it has to be precise. And guess what? I, I weighed myself after three months with the virus stuff, and I weighed the same. So you know what? That gives me permission to, I could have a little bit more of this. Have a little bit more of that. I can get away with this. I can get away with that. My weight doesn't change. How do you deal with that? That craziness that gives me permission now to double the portion because the scale said the same thing. And I make sure I get a haircutting before I get on the scale. Take off my <laughs> wedding ring. I mean, all those things. Do you have any experience with that? I take my contacts out. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, you know, again, it's one of the reasons I do it on a regular basis. And, you know, you may be able to have a little more, you know, you just have to be worried about the little more on top of the little more, <laughs> you know, at a certain point, where is that line? And, you know, again, I think once you get out of the obsession of, of the mind, the allergy of the body, we're all sort of left with the same decision every other person in the world does of how much you want to weigh, how much you want to eat. You know, again, nobody here, the great, you know, 
the thing about that definition that OA has about abstinence, it says healthy body weight. That's really broad. You know, you can be healthy at, at a, a, light, a higher weight. It's, it's your, what are you comfortable with? You know, you know, can you walk up a, a flight of stairs and not be tired? Can you, can you step, one of the ones somebody was saying once about sitting on a bed and standing up without using your hands in any way. Can you do that? You know, just whatever it is to, that, but yeah, but not to be, you also have to worry a little about not getting in the, you know, the, the, you know, again, that whole, I, I eat pee too much. Now what the hell that not to get in that mindset either to try and find a way to as best as you can find some peace with, with the food. And it isn't easy because again, we have to do this all the time. You know, I wrote a, an article for an outside website a while, a long time now, I guess it is called food is deadlier than drink. And it was essentially comparing a way to AA. And I managed to piss a lot of AA people off because my feeling was it is. And I showed them the different reasons, you know, and, um, and just always remember that uh, one of the other things is, you know, you and I don't have to go, well, how much of that whiskey can I have? Can I, can I have that much? You know, that's, that would be so easy, wouldn't it? it? We have to, even in recovery, even in long-term absence, find a way to say, hey, you know, okay, yeah, maybe, I, I do I ever overeat? Yeah, I overeat. I, you know, have more than I was going to go out to that restaurant, you know, like license to overeat. Well, some things I can't just apportion. You know, I'm a big believer, you know, like if I get a steak or something like that, I can look at it and cut it off because I need to, because if I don't, I'm just going to sit there and keep eating. And all of a sudden, wait, what happened to the steak? You know, I wasn't trying to compulsively eat, but it can happen. But other things I'm not that, you know, don't always have that ability to do. And I can overeat a little. It doesn't, you know, nobody ever said you're never going to overeat and compulsively. It's a matter, are you doing it compulsively? Is it a pattern, you know? So maybe just give yourself a little bit of a break and just keep that for me, the, the gate that, that, you know, the thing I say about, you know, uh, you, you know, lie detectors just being, a, I mean, um, uh, scales just being sort of a natural lie detector to yourself. And it isn't lying to anybody else. It's lying to yourself, you know, because that's what we have. We have that disease of perception problem. So hopefully that helped. Nice seeing you Thank again, you. Greg. Uh, Suzanne G. Oh no, Suzanne. I'm sorry. I'm looking to read the wrong thing. Suzanne. I'll ask you to unmute. Hi, I'm Susanna, a compulsive overeater. Susanna. Uh, one of the hard things that I have is trying to separate or trying to be gentle with myself to not expect perfection in the food and yet be honest with myself. Right now, my um, abstinence is no recreational sugar, period. Um, and my food plan is basically uh, no recreational sugar and three meals a day plus two optional snacks. Um, that This is a new concept for me. I was gone for many years in OA, and usually whatever your food plan was was what was your abstinence. And I could never quite live up to it a lot of the times. So what is your opinion regarding all that? And how do you be gentle and not beat up on yourself for every little, you know, add-on of a cracker here at the end of the meal? Well, one of the things we all have had at one time or another is, is being shamed. We've all been shamed in one form or another. I mean, I'll get talking sometimes about the fact that, 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 that weight is the last acceptable 
thing that people can, you know, people don't make fun of race or, or, or uh, you know, sexual identity or, or religion, but people will do fat jokes like crazy. And we've all been shamed. And unfortunately, at some point or another, we conflate that what we eat with the shame of, oh, I'm eat, I ate this much more than I, quote, should have. Well, who said I should have? It's a matter of what you're going to feel comfortable with. And if you don't think it's getting out of control, then you come down to the same kind of thing I was saying to Greg of, okay, that's what you eat. Are you happy at the weight you're at? And if you are and you're plateaued, good. If not, then you have to be honest with yourself. It's like I was saying, you know, if, you know, if I want to be 150 pounds, I want to have to eat about what a 150 pound person eats. Now, maybe I have to, that's trial and error, you know, but I remember I, I had a friend who I really liked in, in, in program issues in the other program who was 300 and something pounds. And he goes, well, it's working. I lost two pounds this month. And I go, well, you know, if you're 350 pounds and you're only losing two pounds, you're never going to get to where you want to be because you're still eating too much food. If that's what you want to do, God bless you. Nobody's going to tell you. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I remember one day my old sponsor, Carl, I was griping it because we went through this period and it has the pejorative phrase and I don't like it, but it was, the point was they called it fat sobriety. There were a lot of people getting up saying they had five, 10 years and they were a hundred pounds overweight. And I just, I just, I don't know. It just really frosted me. And Carl said to me, Hey John, you don't have to carry it up the stairs. <laughs> and I had to remember that at the end of the day, we are our own beneficiary or, you know, victim of our distorted thinking. If you're happy with where you are or you're moving toward or being at a healthy body weight, that's what, again, I love that definition, moving toward or being at, you can choose, is this working for me? And if you find yourself plateauing out 50 pounds more than you want, you're going to have to say to yourself, yeah, do I want to be 50 pounds more than, is this okay for me? Because this is where I'm plateauing. And if you are, then that's fine. That's again, oh, he doesn't say, oh, you have to be this weight. You know, these government charts just drive me nuts because I was told once by a doctor, if you've ever been more than a hundred pounds overweight, you're never going to hit the government charts. Never. Because it's your, your body has changed, you know, and they, they, they again, uh, oh, I watched this thing. There's a, there's a in Netflix. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't talk about it. It's outside issue, but there was a, a science thing on Netflix that talked about weight and how, and it was talking about the biggest loser, right? And it talked about once you've been a hugely amount overweight, it's going to take less and less food for you to make. In other words, you know, you're going to have to eat less to be at the same weight that other people are just because you messed up your metabolism so bad. Your, your body is coming to the conclusion of, oh, my God, you know, what I'm eating now is starvation, <laughs> you know, when I'm eating what a normal person my weight should be. So... You just have to make the decision. If you're happy with where you are, then it's end of argument. You're the one who gets to make that decision. So, and, and again, that perfection is like, like, you know, like Nanette says, you know, it's, it's the conjoined twin of compulsive eating. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. So what the hell, you know, that's just another one of those lines. I think it's on the, the that, that handout I have. Oh, what the hell? I'm not perfect anymore. None of us are ever going to be perfect. What is perfect? <laughs> I love that line. Normal is nothing but a setting on a washing machine. So, all right. Thanks, Susan. Suzanne. Ah, Lynn from Montreal again. You can unmute. Lynn, are you there? Where did I lose Lynn? <laughs> oh, I'm losing some of the people. Okay. Uh, I have Pallavi. Pallavi, are you there? I asked you to unmute. 
as you raise your hand, I hit a button and it, it should pop up the thing that says, you know, host has asked you to unmute. Um, All right, welcome yeah. back. Hey, can you see me? Hi, I'm Flavi, Kosovo and a sweet Where are you from? So I'm calling in from India. Oh, great. And it's about 3 a.m. here. Um, oh, so gosh. I was like, might as well just listen to John. And everything I heard was wonderful. And thank you so much for your service. Um, so my question is that um, every time, and I sort of look for a geographical cure because every time I travel back to the States or to Canada, I get abstinent because I'm not surrounded by my family. Um, and I feel that uh, every time I come back, I'm, I'm triggered because all my family members, and especially in my country, um, we don't recognize OA or food addiction as a disease. Um, so if I try to explain to people not to keep my trigger foods, which is basically desserts, ice creams, chocolates, and all those things, um, they don't understand. And they're basically like, um, exercise willpower, it's not for you. You don't eat it. Don't go near the fridge. Um, and that's what's triggered my relapse now. I've been in India for about six months. And for six months, I have been picking up all my trigger foods. Um, so I, and you said like you need to throw out your trigger foods and I can't do that because um, I'm surrounded by food addicts. If I try to throw it out, they would purchase stuff again. It would be there in the fridge. So how do I deal with being surrounded by my trigger foods and still be abstinent? Yeah, thanks. Good question. Well, for one thing, Indian food is on my list that I be careful of because I love it too much. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'll tell you the story that I, I remember hearing years ago at that other program I was in. Uh, because it came up at a time here in the States, uh, Christmas, which is a time when uh, every office decides it's going to have celebrations to thank its employees. And they back the truck truck up with all kinds of goodies, you know, for the, uh, for the, um, uh, you know, for the, for the employees. And, um, and I have a, I had a friend, I haven't seen her in years who was on a, on a TV show here in the States and, and they have a thing uh, in, on TV called the craft services table, where it's all this food that's laid out all the time and as much as you want to eat. And she used to say, there's nothing harder to stay away from than free food especially if you come from my background. And, um, and it's sort of the same with, with Christmas time in, in the States where, you know, you walk into the break room and there's God knows what there, or so-and-so has baked this and, you know, it would be an insult if we don't eat it kind of thing. And the person was, was asking this of, of this old timer and the old timer said, well, okay, so in your office, you have a certain amount of women, right? And she goes, yeah. And these women come to work with purses and she goes, yeah. She goes, do they lock their purses up or do they just leave them under the desk? And she oh, they leave them under the desk. So, so when they're not around, you can go over and just grab some of their money. That'd be cool, huh? And the woman's like, what? Because that's just the point. You wouldn't do that because it's not your money. And what you have to be able to do is look at that stuff and go, that's just not my food. You know, it's there. I mean, it's really hard if you live with people that don't have the problem. And it's one of the things that, you, you know, you're young, you, you will have to navigate a lot of the people I know who are mothers, who have kids, and they, they want their kids to eat well, but they don't want to put so much focus on it. Because I've seen the other end of this, people who, who, who be, come in and say, my mother was so restrictive that, you know, as soon as I got to college, yeehaw, it was off to the races. Uh, 
to just be, you know, and so mothers have to find that, that balance of, geez, I don't want to tell a kid I can't have that, you know, and, and it's the same thing. You, you'll hear people rant all the time about McDonald's and this and that. God bless it. People can eat it and walk away. I'm a, again, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I don't ask them to, you know, close liquor stores. We, we found out that didn't work. <laughs> so it's, it's somehow trying to get into your mind what's your food and what's their food. And to realize you're the only gauge of it. And chances are, I'm, I'm not sure, but if you're like me, nobody ever had me, pulled my head back, opened my mouth, and put in too much food. I, I am, at the end of the day, the last line of defense. I'm the last determinant of how much I eat. And, you know, yeah, you do get these people. They get, you know, they're, all, they're food pushers, essentially. And you just say, look, I've had enough. No, I can't eat anymore, you know. And if you go out with friends and you don't eat certain things, I'll give you a great hint. I used to say, oh, no, I don't eat that. And, you know, especially when I first came in OA, I was almost like bragging about it. And after a while, it, it just, it was, you know, oh, no, you can have, well, come on, you can have a little, and, you, you know, you get tired of listening to it. I just say I'm allergic. You say I'm allergic, people's brains turn right off. Oh, okay, I'm allergic to that, you know. And if they ask me, well, what happens when you eat it? I say, well, I break out in fat, <laughs> you know, and that's a a good way to stop it. But yeah, at the end of the day, you're going to have to realize that there's always, and it, it, again, this is about the food plan too. We have to find something that's going to last forever. That's going to be flexible enough at the same, same time, knowing I've got that disease of more and that disease of, Oh, I can have this and find that way. And this is a reason it is so hard to navigate, but to realize at the end of the day, you're going to be the one who has to make the decision to pick up or eat something you shouldn't or eat more of that. Again, you know, if you live with your parents, just because they put it on your plate, same thing with a restaurant, just because they put it on your plate doesn't mean you have to eat it, you know, or eat all of it. Let's put it that way. Thanks, Bobby. Hi, uh, let's see. Uh, Susan, Sue G, I had you here. Did you ever come on, Sue G? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Sue. Oh, now you're, you're muted again? Or Hang on. Somehow I... <laughs> There, there we you go. go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. Always good to hear you. I have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is, I hate to ask you again, but could you please give the website for the, um, for the, the lies one? Uh-huh. Sure. It's really simple to remember with the use this memory and mnemonic. It's Okay, I'll first I'll say it. O-A-L-A-I-G.org. So it's it. O-A, Overuse Anonymous, L.A., Los Angeles, I.G., as in intergroup, and .org, because it's an organization. Got that. I got that. And then it's forward slash lies.org? Forward slash lies.pdf. Oh, PDF. Got it. Okay. And and the other one is forward slash willingness.pdf. And make sure you use only lowercase. It's case sensitive. Got it. Got it. Perfect. And then the other question I had was, I'm always really interested in more growth in forgiveness. And you just barely touched on um, someone about self-forgiveness. Can you talk any more about that? Or is that an outside issue? It's sort of outside. But again, I sort of gave you the sort of the cliff notes on it is this woman talks about um, probably if you Google that phrase and look at the videos, because on Google, it gives you video things. I think her name is, anyway, her name's Kristen Neff. I'm not telling you, you know, anymore. It's not a book or anything. But she just talks about how self-esteem still requires you in some ways to set yourself 
you know, whatever you're doing against some standard, some standard that may not work for you, but may work, you know, for others. And, and self-compassion is about just being willing to say, Hey, I'm on, I'm on the human curve. You know, maybe, Hey, we maybe do things that are way off the curve, but sometimes they're not. And, and yeah. And then the other thing about forgiving yourself is you can start to forgive others. You know, I always say we're all just little kids running around in these adult suits and none of us got the manual. None of us got the manual on how to live life. And so we spend the rest of our lives doing trial and error, trial and error. And sometimes the errors affect other people and make us feel bad. But most of us don't do it deliberately. Or if we did it, it was because we were messed up with our disease. But we just try to do better next time. And just remember, again, I'm, a, I'm the kid who didn't get the manual. And exactly. I, I'm just trying the best. I, and then it also helps because then you can remember, hey, that person just did that nasty thing to me is a kid without a manual too. Exactly. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I have Michael here. Michael's next. Michael. Hey, John, thank you so much for your service. And um, this is just beautiful. And, And for sort of going through all that stuff as well. Just great. Thank you for sticking with it. Um, I just have a question. So I've been talking with a friend and sometimes we talk about this idea that like, um, it's not about the food, it's about the spiritual condition. And you sort of touched on it a little bit, but what would you say to that? Like, um, you know, because her, her sort of absence is different from mine, but hers is like, she can have, she finds that she can have whatever she wants as long, as long as she is spiritually fit that day. So maybe pizza wouldn't work for her on Monday, but it could work another day. Um, yeah, that was my question. Yeah, sure. Well, it's like I said, in other words, in the, <laughs> in the concentric circles of recovery, not the one I just did, I just feel food's the outer layer. Food is the outer thing. You know, if you think in terms of like a fort, it's the, it's the outer rampart that the enemies are going to try and get in from. And so most of this talk was about bolstering the outer rampart. Do I believe it's, that's it? No, this is the, abstinence isn't the the finish line, it's the starting line. It's the starting line of figuring out all that other stuff. Because again, you know, like I said, we're dealing with the, um, we're dealing with the uh, disease that is at the end of the day, a spiritual one. And, and again, there are people who can say, yeah, it's a spiritual malady and I have been able to get to the point where it's okay. But again, we have that disease that can monkey with our perception and say, well, is, am I really okay? And it's great if you are. And even if you decide you want to be 50 pounds more than I do, if you're happy with that and it doesn't bother you, it's fine. Now, I personally believe that there's a certain thing having to do with health. But again, it's your choice. I'm a huge believer in choice. If you want to be overweight and it doesn't bother you, that's, that's the end of the argument, you know? Um, but at the, again, that's the finish line, uh, the, the starting line, and immediately into that is the steps. I always love the line, put down the food, pick up the steps, you know, and, and start to change my inner self, you know, because like I said near the end, it's about changing the inner self because the, once I'm in a fit spiritual condition, which is, you know, again, that, that, that phrase from the 10-step promises you know, which is talking about being in a position of neutrality with the food, you know, recoiling as if from a hot flame. It ends with the number one gotcha. It's, you know, providing we stay in fit spiritual condition. 
But right now, this was about, again, about setting, setting the, uh, putting the leg in a cast and dealing with that. But then it's about where do I go from there? How do I make sure this doesn't happen again? And that is through change in more changes, more changes in, you know, again, like I said, it is at the end of the day, the day a spiritual disease that has the physical component here and the bridge between the physical and the spiritual is the emotional. Because the spiritual have changed my thinking and my feelings, which then changes my food, or if I allow it to. So hopefully, if everybody gets one thing, it's not that I'm in any way denigrating the other parts of recovery. They are hugely important. At the end of the day, that's what's going to keep you abstinent. But in the beginning, maybe it's about, again, putting out the fire, setting the broken leg. So I hope that helps. I have Margaret. I Margaret? Hi. Hi. This is Margaret from, I guess, New York, although I'm in Arizona. Um, first of all, let me thank you, not just for this, for all your service. I'm a, I have to admit, I'm a big personal fan of yours. Um, and I believe in everything that you had said during this relapse. But when I was asked to put my foods on the red list, everything but raw oysters and sea cucumber came up on my red list <laughs> because it was like, oh yeah, I can eat five bunches of celery if I'm, you know, thinking I'm in a diet mode, but I don't want to put on weight. So I was wondering what your take was on that. And also, um, you know, when I go, I've been in here for a while in the rooms, lots of rooms, <laughs> lucky me. And there's always this huge you know, reaction to somebody saying diet versus food plan. And I understand, you know, that a, a diet doesn't have the emotional and spiritual component to it. But really, is, it, is the food plan the diet part? Or is there something different that I'm not getting? Thank you. Sure. All right, answer the first thing first. Um, again, I was saying before, in a way, you know, you're, you're talking semantics. You're talking a diet, but in terms of what most of us think about with diets, uh, it was it was adhering to something somebody else told you you should do and the way you should do it. And then for me, and I think a lot of other people who had an overeating problem, it had a finite time. And when it was done, yeah, you know, or I had somehow deluded myself that I could eventually go back to eating the way I want in the, in, in the amounts I want. And somehow having done the magic diet will somehow get me something, you know, like my old Don says, I don't know where he might've gotten somebody else. You know, you can't, can't stay clean on yesterday's shower. I have to, uh, I have to, you know, do this all the time. There's a great line from uh, the American revolution that said uh, the price of Liberty is eternal vigilance. And I think sometimes the price of abstinence is eternal vigilance, you know, it doesn't matter. It, you know, it doesn't care. My disease doesn't care how much time I have. You know, the only where that's any of any interest to anybody is inside an OA meeting. You know, nobody cares other than that. And I always say, you know, you know, some people get into the, the, the numbers thing. I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter. I said, like, we're all climbing up the outside of the Empire State Building. So I'm on the 80th floor and you're only on the 30th floor. We're all just one let go away, you know, and the further up you are, the bigger the splat, right? So 
the idea of a diet has to change. I need to think more as a food plan, uh, and it's something I have chosen. I have chosen these are the things I want to eat. These are the things that cause me problems, and, and I know it, and I don't want those problems anymore. It's like what Ray said, you know, um, you know, I eat whatever I want if I'm willing to pay the price, and I don't want to pay the price. That's the crazy part of my that that, that second step insanity is somehow I decided I, somehow the price I wasn't going to have to pay the price, you know. Or, oh, I'll just deal with it later. I'll lose the weight. I lost it before. But do you want to be on that cycle forever? And because you really don't grow. What long-term abstinence about is, is about growing spiritually and emotionally. And you can't do that if you're constantly resetting and you're not dealing with the discomfort and the pain. That's what it's about. You know, Sky Ira always says, fight for your right to be uncomfortable. You know, meaning, meaning you um, being uncomfortable is how you're going to grow. And you have to be willing to do that. If you're always going to decide to anesthetize with the food, you're never going to get through this. It's almost like, you know, it's, it's like uh, if you've ever been in a relationship and you break up, you know, over something that maybe your problem is, you'll get another relationship and you'll hit that same place again. What are you going to do? You're going to go over and over and over? Or are you going to say, you know, let me see if I can work through this? And in terms of uh, your situation food-wise, then, you know, and there are people, I know people say, hey, I can binge on on a thing of celery. And that may very well true. So then your absence has to include the weights. It has to include times. You know, I know a lot of people who just say, I'm a grazer. You know, I need to, I need to have a finite time. I, and and how long that is, you know, um, I know people who say, yeah, breakfast has to be between this time and this time, and then lunch is between this time and this time, and dinner is between this time and this time. Otherwise, gee, I finish my breakfast and I'm, I'm not feeling, you know, I'm having some emotional problems. Oh, time for lunch. <laughs> you know, no, you have to sit with it. You have to sit with the discomfort no matter what. And sometimes the only way to do that, you know, is uh, doing that by knowing what times you can eat and what you weights you can do if again if if your problem is everything then it's going to have to come down to i i have to change change that because that's my thing again it might not be somebody else's and and you might not be able to use you know roberta's thing you know everybody's different so victor g i got victor g is victor g there i've asked him to unmute All right, the next one I have simply says iPhone. So iPhone, uh, if you see a thing on your hello, screen. Hello, hello. It's okay, Victor. Victor. Okay, oh, I'm sorry. always one behind. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. I, I was, uh, my screen had gone <clears throat> uh, dark. Oh, okay. Because I'm on my phone. Okay. So uh, thanks a lot for this. Um, I have a question about, um, yeah, I'm embarrassed to ask it because I, I struggle with this. I have a question about resentment toward the program. And um, uh, so I struggle with sort of the cultish language of the program, you know, uh, hey, oh, thank you for your service, you know. So these pat responses and pat declarations that are part of the culture that they just really annoy me. And um, I just wondered if if uh, that was an experience that you could relate to or you had any thoughts about. And the other question is, um, I, I've recently kind of um, 
come back to more meetings. And um, I've been in and out of OA since 1995, and I've gone up and down with my weight, which is not a big surprise. Um, and I, an, another resentment that I get is like, I find that I have friends of convenience when I'm around the program, right? So like, oh, I love you. I love you. You're so wonderful. You're so terrific. You know, thanks for sharing. I'm so glad you're here. And then when I'm not able to come anymore for whatever reason, these people are not, they don't stay in touch. They don't respond. I had one person who, you know, I said, you know, I really like you. I'm not comfortable in the meetings anymore, but I really would like to stay in touch. And um, the, she never responded. And lo and behold, I was in a meeting just the other day and she sent me a, a call this week. And I just, you know, I struggle with attracting people who aren't able to really come through and be there. Mm -hmm. And it just really confuses me and makes me angry, quite frankly. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there and see what you were, what, if you had any. Okay, well, in terms of the language, I got to tell you, when I first came to AA, I just, uh, I was like, I, I was a writer and all these cliches. I'm so tired of hearing these stupid cliches. <laughs> and uh, my my first AA sponsor was this was this guy who was a he was a a carpenter, Joey. And he says, "You want to know why you keep saying those same ones over and over? Because you're stupid. You got to hear." It. <laughs> now they're not exactly they're not exactly touchy feely there, but but a, the case can be made that. Some of these things, even though they are cliches, you're absolutely right. They are things that sometimes I do need to hear over and over because then all of a sudden when I'm in the middle of something one day, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, oh, yeah, and, and that thought will pop in my head. But, yeah, I have that too. And uh, the other thing with people is, you know, uh, the, the Drug and Alcohol Center I, I'm a part of has made the decision. It used to be pure 12-step. Now it's decided it wants to be more ecumenical. Um, and we have to talk about all the different programs that are out there. But I will give a talk on 12-step at one point, and I always like to say the worst, the worst commercial for 12-step in general are the people, some of the people who are in it, <laughs> meaning you, could, you, know, you, know, you can roll your eyes sometimes at, uh, you know, at, at, at some of the things they say or, like you said, uh, you know, the, the uh, attitude of platitude, I like to call it sometimes, you know, the same kind of thing over and over. And I know one of the things that drives our, the, the newly sober addicts is going to meetings and hear, oh, how much time do you have? How much time do you have? And I, I finally said to them one day, I think what it is is most alcoholics and addicts are socially awkward and they're trying to think of some commonality thing to say. And so that's the one thing they can think of to say. It's not like, oh, you're a better person if you have more time or less. But in general, yeah, you do get this sort of, uh, sometimes, you know, the people turn inwards a little. I know that when I was, at one point, I, when I was going through my relapse, all of a sudden, bam, I stopped hearing from a bunch of people. And then later when I came back, I said, you know, guys, I just wanted to let you know, relapse is not contagious. You wouldn't have caught anything from me if I was out. I could have used some help. And, and, you know, I think a lot of that is a matter of how much growth they have, you know, and how they do things. I know one of the things I've really gotten cognizant of um, in meetings, well, when we had live meetings, is 
you know, I used to, when I first came in, I felt everybody was really not friendly. And what I noticed is, having gotten to the point where I'm around for a long time, people come in and they see their friend. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? And, and then other people come in and they all see their own friends. And all of a sudden, you've got these clumps of people all talking to each other. And all of a sudden, there's one person sitting there all by themselves. And I'll go, that's a newcomer. And I'll go over and talk to them. Because it isn't like I'm trying and none of us are trying to turn our backs on them. We're turning toward our friends. But you know what? When you turn towards your friends, you probably turn your back on somebody. And the idea of, of being willing to do that, and, and I'm sorry you had that experience, and I think it may in some ways talk about their growth emotionally and spiritually, and maybe there's a part of them that is, feels like they're on the edge, you know, I can't talk to somebody who's out there because they may pull me out, which is insanity, but, you know, it could be what it is. And the only other thing I'll say about that is the resentments are only going to hurt you at the end of the day. You know, they'll keep you out and all that. And uh, yeah, so just just think about that. So, all right. And I also have the lady who, who says iPhone, who is wearing a pink thing. <laughs> okay. Um, Ma'am, you have an iPhone. You say iPhone. <laughs> you, yes, you. <laughs> who said iPhone. If, if you, um, here you go. Unmute. She's trying to unmute. There you are. You got it. Hi, I'm Adrian in Florida. Um, can't see you anymore. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so can you hear me all right? Perfect. All right. So um, I came in a long time ago. It was Gracie. And I'm very comfortable weighing and measuring and following a food plan and not eating sugar and flour and, you know, and all that stuff. And I've become vegan, and I found that I felt like I didn't belong. Like you said, like, you know, the person sitting there, no one's talking to them on the break or when the meeting ends. That was me. I I did a lot of service for the meeting, for the intergroup, for the region, for world service. And I, at a meeting, I was, I had no one to talk to. I got no phone calls. And, um, I got, you know, like, I really felt like, am I the only one doing this? And I got so high on my horse that I picked up, you know, like, well, what am I knocking myself out for, you know? And I picked up. And so now I can't do any service because I'm not abstinent. And I find that I can't seem to like get off my horse and go back to meetings you know, to like, I'm on the phone all the time, but I don't want anybody to see me because I'm not as thin, you know, as I was and the, the guilt, the shame, you know, and all that. And, you know, like when I try to sponsor people, people, you know, like when I was abstinent, people would say, oh no, you're too strict. You know, you're, you know, like I, I, I can't do what you do or, you know, like, um, you know, it's too, you know, I don't know. I got all sorts of things and I just felt like I was the lone person still with the gray sheet mentality of weighing and measuring without exception. Let me, let me take, take on some of that. Again, there is gray sheet anonymous. There is. Yes. A, I'm, I go there to their is, meetings. There is FAA. But you have to realize this is Overeaters Anonymous. And right. I 
am not a professional, so I would never tell somebody what they have to eat. If they can eat stuff I can't, and they can do it, and they can be moving toward being at a healthy body weight, that's God bless them. That's all. I, I don't think we should be saying, here's what I eat. If you want to be have what I have, you got to eat what I eat. It should be more of uh, do what I do in terms of behavior, you know, and and mm-hmm. if, if you really feel that strongly and it's fine, then maybe only sponsor Ingratiate Anonymous and just be a person here. Um, the other thing about coming back to meetings, I you know, there's a great line, I you know, that somebody said to me a long time ago was uh, when I, I bumped on bumped into him on the street because I had gained a lot of weight and wasn't going to meetings. And he said, you know, you can't save your ass and your face at the same time. You got to decide, you know, and, it, and it's really true. And in terms of uh, service, I have to be careful. Uh, I have actually just backed away recently from that because service can be an escape. It can be not me not looking at myself by being keeping myself so busy that I don't look. And then the other thing is, is that uh, my ego can kick into it a little, you know. And, and oh, you know, because I just got done being the chair of the intergroup. Jeff's the chair now. But I was like, you know what? I, I, I need to be one among many. I need to sit there. I need to be Cincinnati. So, you know, the story of him who was this great general and he just went and retired as a farmer um, because there was a part of me that did the service more. Well, not, you know, I did the service because I liked it and this is my program and I believe in it. But there was a part of me that ended up, you know, it was about, you know, being the person going to world service. I went to world service and, and, and then that, and, and so just be careful that you can use it that way. You know, the idea of just coming and being one among many, being another person, you know, it's fine. Again, at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers, uh, on, you know, how long you've been abstinent. It's just a matter of, you know, just keep coming. So I don't know if that helps, but, um, you know, <laughs> thanks. All right. I have Joanne in Florida. Uh, let's see. Joanne in Florida. We got two Floridians in a row. Hey, Joanne, go ahead. Hi. Um, okay, going in and out. What? Joanne, you don't have a good connection. I'm sorry. Can you get somewhere? Wait a minute. Let me move. There you are. You sound good. Better? Yes. Okay. Um, just ironically, um, the whole anonymity thing goes to hell when you call out our names. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so I'm not, calling, I'm not calling out your first name. Uh, I'm only calling out your, you know, you know, the whole thing. It's not, I wouldn't use, if there are some people here, I'm looking at the thing that have to put their last name and uh, at least one of them, I just, I just yeah. say. Yeah. That's not really what I wanted to say to you. Um, I, again, I do appreciate, I do appreciate your share. And uh, I'm not sure if I misunderstood you, but did you say something about the fact that you gained some weight because of COVID? Oh, I was just just joking. In other words, a couple of pounds here and there. We're not talking huge amount. Okay. You know, you I know, mean, the I, one. Sorry, no, you go ahead. No, I I, I was just going to say, um, you know. I, do I expect my weight to be absolutely perfect all the time? No, I, I don't think it's possible. The human, you know, the human body goes up and down a little. I just have to make sure it's doing this and not this, <laughs> you know, and, and I probably have gained a few pounds. One, well, the other thing is, is I used to, you know, I used to be exercising all the time and I got this full-time job and, uh, 
you can't see because I got a fake background on here, but I have an exercise thing right behind me. It's like a, it's a thing. It's a little like a stairmaster, and I was on that every day, and, and then I stopped doing it. Now a good person who's really got it together would say, "Hey, I'm not exercising anymore. I better eat a little less." Do I? No, I should. <laughs> but I'm being honest. I'm being honest that no, I didn't. And guess what happened? I, exactly what should happen. You know, because the only thing I always say is the laws of physiology do not stop at the doorway of OA. <laughs> you know, I could be doing all the service in the world. I could be doing this and that. I could be working the steps. It still comes down to, you know, calories in, calories out, you know. And so yeah. I did gain a little weight there. So I'd be lying if I, uh, I said, oh, well, you, you did touch on what I wanted to ask you was because, you know, when you started, uh, the gym closed, and I'm used to going three times a week. And um, I wasn't sure if I, you know, start getting back. Does that mean I'm putting myself on a diet? You know, it's just, it's kind of weird, and hopefully you won't have to deal with this much longer. But uh. well, that's the thing. Yeah, um, let me just answer and move on. I can only tell you that for me, um, I have to get creative. I have to get, I mean... First of all, I could give you a whole talk. I've given a whole talk on this is an absolute graduate class in acceptance right now, what we're all doing. And and I'll just tell you the story that happened to me about, how was it, about a month ago. I just got myself cranked up about the fact that things weren't opening up the way I thought they should. And these people are all overreacting. Yeah, da, 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 da. And then, of course, everything spiked and everything got bad. But what I did, again, program teaches me to look at my part in this. And what I realized, and it took a little while to get it, but I had already come out of that, but looked backwards and saw it. What it was is I had an artificial timetable here. You know, oh, this is supposed to be done by the middle of June in my head. And when it wasn't and it didn't fit my time frame, I started getting pissed off about it be honest okay and what i realize now is that's again that's it's you know it's a reverse serenity prayer stuff i can't change i I want changed and what i can change my attitude about it i don't want to and the example that hit me one day i'm i'm big i watch a lot of news i'm into history back in the 70s i think it was maybe 80s early 80s they started taking a lot of hostages in lebanon and they took a bunch of them, and they would cold them for a year or two. These were all, like, British and American Western people. And when they let up, eventually most of them, you know, got out. Um, a lot of them had severe mental problems as a result. The one guy who didn't was a guy named Terry Waite. He was an Anglican minister. And when he was talked about it at, at one time, I watched him, he said, what I did is I went in and I said, I have no idea when this is going to end. It could end tomorrow. It could end a year, could end two years. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to take every day at a time, enjoy as best as I can, enjoy my situation, and let go of when it's going to happen. And I realized that's where I had to get with this, or I was going to drive myself crazy. Because, again, I'll have an idea of what, when it should be. I'll have an idea of what I should have to do. Um, and I don't have any control over it. You know, I, you know, I got exposed to somebody really close quarters uh, uh, about a week and a half ago when I had to go. I've had this now my second test and waiting to hear, but, you know, 
I'll take it as it comes. But I also don't, you know, I said, I really don't want to get COVID, but I, the more, more and more importantly, I don't want to give COVID. And so, you know, that's, that's what I do. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really hard. And what I have to do is be creative and say, okay, the gym's closed. You know, they're, you know, they haven't, they haven't, you know, outlawed walking or running or anything. I just have to be willing to be flexible and say, until this is over, I got to have a plan B and not just say, oh, uh, gym's closed. I'll sit back, watch TV, <laughs> you know, and you can, but again, how much you want to eat, how much you want to weigh, you know? <laughs> and how much you want to exercise. You can put that one in there too. So uh, Dana, we have Dana A. And Hi. Dana. Hi, Dana. Hi, it's Dana. Um, oh, Dana, sorry. Yeah, okay, from Australia. Thank you so much for your service. Um, for your generous time. Um, I've got a couple of things that I wanted um, to just get your opinion on. I came into OA at the end of 2017. And since then, I have been abstinent from the foods that I originally had on my red light list. So all the junk food, processed food, all that sort of stuff. However, I'm finding that my relapse is showing up in finding foods that otherwise would not be a problem and but sort of somehow resemble these foods. So it might be like a yellow light food, for example, uh, uh, no sugar carob instead of chocolate. And it only happens sometimes. Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not. But I find, or in, you know, rice crackers, which I wouldn't have chips, but I can have some rice crackers unflavored. So I'm finding that sometimes those show up for me as foods which I can just keep eating. I'll never go to the point where I'll go and eat my, those original chocolate and chips and things, but I can't seem to put these on my list because, and I'm not sure why, but they keep coming up, not every day, but once every couple of months they'll show up. And I just keep saying to myself, am I in relapse? Am I not? Because I'm not eating my real trigger foods. That's one thing. The other thing I'm finding... Yeah also I'm struggling with is um, food behaviors, which I haven't heard you address yet, but it's like, for me, my disease will tell me, well, you know, I'll pick at food while I'm cooking it, or if it's come out of the oven on the tray, because it's already part of my meal plan anyway. So like the pumpkin that I've already, you know, I've weighed aside, well, it's already part of my meal plan. So I'll just, like, it's fine if I have some extra. So this is where I'm finding the the relapse comes in these days and it's hard for me to ever admit that I'm relapsing because I'm not having my chocolates and my chips and I'm not sitting there binging, feeling really horrible about myself, but I'm feeling bad about myself enough every month or every three weeks that makes me think that, yeah, I'm relapsing. So I just would love to hear your thoughts on this, on the behaviors and on yeah, how to get myself back pretty much. Okay. Thanks, Dana. Um, well, okay, I'm going to be amateur shrink here. <laughs> and, and again, I am not qualified. I do not have a degree in psychology, unlike my wife. But you, you talked about, you used some kind of thing about, uh, you know, feeling bad about, about what you're eating. The question is, is, do you want the food or do you want to feel bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? And there was, is there a part of you that's doing some self-fulfilling thing? I may very well not be, there may, but there may also be some biochemical things. I, when I was in that other program, you know, the thing about 
any program that has a specific food plan, some of it's just going to be totally illogical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, no, no food, you know, no, no sugar, no white flour, but they allowed us to have rice cakes. Well, if you ever look at the glycemic index of rice cakes, rice cakes get into your bloodstream faster than a piece of chocolate does. And it was doing something for a lot of people. My God, you, you know, these people, they were abstinent, you know, and all that. You try and take their rice cakes away from me, you're taking your life into your hands, you know? And um, so it could be something like that. Maybe some of it is, well, again, some of this may be perfection. Perfectionism, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know your situation, but... Have I ever nibbled on something while I'm cooking? Yes. Not not going to sit there and go crazy. Do I sometimes say, well, I'm going to eat it anyway? Yeah, but, but that means I don't get to have, you know, if I, you know, I bake three things or and I eat one of them now, I don't get to say, oh, I'm still going to have the three and, and eat it before. I have to just make that adjustment. And again, I think it's part of finding, a, you know, and again, a lot of this goes back to the perfectionism of, Oh, that's what killed me was, was always, well, I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be that. This is what abstinence really means. And I'm not that. And, you know, um, you know, there's a, I don't know if you ever listened to um, uh, Vision for You. There's a Vision for You is a, a, a group. And I did a special edition there. If you're ever interested, it's a really interesting website. Even if you don't want to be part of the daily phone thing, there's a lot of these things called special editions. Uh, that you can listen to online. And I did one a while back called the 10 blockages to serenity. And it's actually based on psychological thing called uh, cognitive distortions as to how we see things. And to part of the base of cognitive distortions has to do um, with, uh, um, oh God, my brain has just gone on, on the phrase uh, where, um, oh God, what the heck is it now? In other words, it's when you uh, you positively reinforce the things you believe and you don't pay attention to the things you don't believe. You know, I used to use the example of my mother. When I, my mother was alive, we, you know, she, we were driving one day on a street that always had, we'd hit a red light every block. And one day we're driving and we get 10 green lights in a row. And when finally we hit the 11th one and the light went red, she goes, see, I always hit all the red lights because she paid no attention to the green lights. And all she saw was the one red light. And, she, and that, of course, just reinforced even more. See, I only hit the red lights. Well, some of that has to do with how we look at ourselves, too. If, if I, you know, I think maybe I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm not, you know, I'm a screw up or, or anything like that, I can look for those things. You know, it's, but, but when I was single, I had that a lot. With, you know, I wouldn't look at any of my assets. I only look at how I compared negatively to some other person, you know. And so I, I don't know. But like I said, look at it. Try, you know, just try and be honest about, you know, bottom line, you know, am I, again, some of this is, is, is the food calling the shots or are you calling the shots? And if you get into the point where the foods are calling the shots, then maybe it is problem food. And you can decide, is this this or am I just being a little too overly rigid about whether or not I can occasionally, you know, have a bite of something while I'm cooking it, et cetera, et cetera. And I can't tell it because I'm not in your shoes and I don't know, but these are things just maybe to think about. Okay. All right. I got Liz T. Liz T, you're unmuted. Liz, anybody there? You know, as soon as I call on the next person, Liz will come on. <laughs> All right. I have uh, AK. Uh, she has a peculiar first name, so I won't say it. 
AK from uh, Arizona? Amina. Well, I wasn't going to say it, but if you do. Also, <laughs> over okay. eater. I am so happy to be on this call. It did my heart good to see like 400 people from all over the world <laughs> that are wanting to know about relapse. I'm so sorry for all of us on one level, but I'm just so grateful for you, just like any other meeting, you know, this uh, normalness. So this has been really good. I've been journaling a lot during this off and on and kind of looking at my thoughts and what is this cycle and I'm in a situation where I'm a caregiver for my husband and he's diabetic and I'm often a person who's been able to motivate myself to do things for somebody else that I wouldn't do for myself. And that has worked for me a lot. I've tricked myself and I've been in program like, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And I have had periods of time of abstinence, um, but I've been in relapse now for several years since really before I retired, and I retired a couple years ago, I was working up to it. So I know when I'm buying these foods, I don't have, I hardly can relate to the fact that they're damaging me, um, except when I get crazy. And then I know, you know, like when I start feeling, I know those signs when I'm eating certain foods, like an allergy, I get crazy. I have crazy thinking. I get overwhelmed. I'm overreactive to things. And I don't like being that person. So that's my main motivator to avoid them. But I also have this real guilt cycle going that it's so clear. I can see my husband has the behavior of a compulsive overeater. I'm the one who does all the grocery shopping and deciding about what foods that come in the house. And I'm feeding him poison. And I'm like, I'm sitting here journaling like, wow, you know, is this, am I, resentful because I'm in the caregiving place and therefore I'm, you know, I know it's all just stupid, crazy thinking, really. It's, I have a disease. <laughs> the food calls to me. Well, the I, question, the question, ma'am. <laughs> uh, well, about, uh, is it mainly about you and, and your husband and, and how you're well, feeling? I just have this question about yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe I don't have a question. Maybe the deal is that I can't, like you said, I appreciated what you said. You have to put the food down before you can think about what's going on. And I think that's probably it. And um, mostly I just wanted to thank everybody for being in this call so I'm not alone. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you're not. <laughs> Thanks, Amina. Um, yeah, I will say one thing for a lot of us. A lot of us raised in households where food was love, food is love. And again, those are what I go back to the beginning of why this is hard is because a lot of us were raised that way. When we were raised with, let me show my love through food or, you know, in, in various forms of that or reward. If you do this, you can have ice cream, Johnny, things like that. And, and so, the, you know, it, it, it may, if you're a compulsive eater, it almost seems counterintuitive to feed somebody healthy, especially yourself. <laughs> but to realize that that is loving at the end of the day, to, to, you know, to be healthy, to have them be healthy and, and feed them well. And I think if you feed him well and you don't have certain things in the house, it's going to be less of an enticement for you. And then you have to say to yourself, 
am I feeding him that so that I can have that stuff in the house and feed myself that? And that's a question only you can answer. So, Liz, you, uh, I had you uh, before, but you were uh, not around, and I see you popped back on, Liz T. So do you yes. want to ask a question? Yes, Liz. Can you hear me? I yep. was here, and can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes, again. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank you very much for sharing and for doing this, and thanks, everybody, for just being on the call. Um, I related to a lot of what was said. Uh, my question has to do with, you know, you were talking about public uh, free food in public. I don't eat in public. I'm too ashamed to eat in public. I do. I'll eat the smallest amount. My problem is when I get home, and um, I feel deprived, or I feel, I just it never happens in front of other people. It's always when I'm alone. So um, I just wondered if you had any thoughts or comments or suggestions about that kind of behavior. Sure. Thanks. Sure. Um, I can just tell you, I identify, well, I identify when I was in my disease and especially when I was hundred pounds more, I was afraid to eat a normal amount of food. First of all, I had trouble figuring out what a normal amount was, but then there's a part of me that's thinking of other people's judgment. Oh, you're fat. You shouldn't eat that much. You're, you know, you're fat. You shouldn't eat that, you know? And I had to, I mean, I look back on it now. I, I can say in the moment, I, I sort of did the same thing. And, and, and to realize, no, I, I, if I had just eaten the right amount of food, but then like you said, uh, you know, I would go home and make up for it in spades, you know? And, and again, it was a little like what I was saying to somebody just a minute ago about, I, you know, I never knew, even in retrospect, was coming back and eating because I had under eaten or did I under eat so I could go back and overeat? You know what I mean? It could, chicken and egg, I don't know. But I know that I did that a lot. And, I, and again, I think it's a thing that happens to a lot of us who've been very overweight. We don't like to eat in public. And everybody says, I wonder why she's so heavy. Why is he so heavy? He eats like a bird, you know? Yeah, say, yeah well, see me behind closed doors. <laughs> you know? so, so, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I can only suggest you just try and say, hey, I know this is a certain amount of normal food. Um, and I'm going to eat it out. And that's it. It's no longer, you know, no rewards when I come home, you know, that's end of meal, you know, I had a, my old sponsor used to, he, I go out to eat with him and he would go, the meal is over. <laughs> and I've been um, around long enough that another friend back in the old, old days when they used to have smoking in restaurants would, would find a, a, an ashtray and take it and dump it on what was left of her food just to guarantee she wouldn't eat it. And, um, but yeah, I think just trying as best as you can to, you know, to try and eat a normal amount. And you know what, if you get home and you underate a little, you know, my old friend Gary used to say, nobody ever starved between dinner and breakfast. <laughs> and I need to remember that. So thanks, Liz. Thank you, I, John. Okay. I have, uh, I have four more. And so we're going to call it a, a day after these four, and then we'll, we'll move on. I have Lori, she, her, those are her. Her pronouns, mine is your highness and your liege. Um. Hi, John. Thank you so much for your service. Um, I get, I'll try to just um, head this all in one direction and, one, and as little words as possible. With sponsorship um, and finding a sponsor, a lot of times the sponsor will want you to eat the way they do, which in some ways I don't have a problem with. But sometimes, like, their abstinence isn't necessarily your abstinence. 
Um, and I think the other big question is some like program is, is um, due to interpretation. Um, some people will, if you have a slip or, or a short relapse, you go back to zero, do not collect $200. And where my problem with that is, I feel that's punishment. So I don't always disclose my break of abstinence to my sponsor. Does that mean maybe I should find somebody different to work with? Or maybe we need to have a conversation with my my sponsor. And I think that's probably the best summarization I can do for the questions. Thank you so much. Thanks for the question. Uh, you know, everybody sponsors the way they do, and everybody has a right to an opinion about the way the people sponsor. And my opinion is I, I, I think there's a certain intolerance if a person says, you have to eat the way I eat. I know they'll use the expression, well, if you, if you want what you have, you got to do what I do. I believe that in terms of behavior, but in terms of food, I mean, again, they, to me, the bottom line is, is can, you, can you eat that, be a normal weight, or move toward a normal weight? It is good to be able to say, hey, I need somebody to maybe call me on my stuff, or at least say to me, you may want to look at this because maybe this is a problem for you, especially if it's something that you, every time you eat it, you end up with some kind of a problem. And that, again, that involves a sponsor you can have a good relationship with. I, uh, to me, the most important quality of a sponsor is that he, ha he or she has to be somebody you can be absolutely honest with. You know, I tell my sponsees, please be honest with me about whatever you're doing. I guarantee you whatever you eat won't put a pound on me. <laughs> you know, I will be able to be objective I'm not going to make judgments. Please be honest, because if you don't and you start doing that, you know, it's, it's the, to me, it's, it's the way out the door or the way into a total relapse, whereas maybe you can catch it. Uh, and in terms of disclosing, um, well, I'll say two things about that. I mean, you know, there are different, uh, you know, feelings about that. And, and I hear some people sort of parse slip and relapse. You know, it's like somebody was saying earlier about uh, abstinence versus food plan. I've been around long enough where abstinence and food plan were the same. Uh, I tend to come from the place of slip and relapse or the same, though it really does depend. If it, it was some little one-off shot, maybe you, you don't reset. And at the end of the day, yeah, not thinking of it as punishment, but maybe as a barometer. But again, you know, it's that whole thing of... Um, the only word that matters is in a NOAA meeting. Nobody cares how many days I have, you know, nobody cares, you know. Um, but if it, in some ways, if it does feel punitive to you, I think one of the questions is, is disclosing or not disclosing going to perpetuate the behavior? You know, am I, if I don't disclose, if, if I, I do something that's not good, and then I don't say anything about it, and then and I do it again the next day, and I don't say anything about it. Is it going to cause a problem? I'll just give you my my expertise on how to how to deal with a relapse with AA. When I first came in, I got sober, I had about four months, and I had a slip. You know, it was like a one night thing, and 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 I didn't say anything to anybody. And then a couple of weeks later, I had another slip. And I didn't say anything to anybody. And then about a week later, I had a slip and I didn't tell anybody. And I finally was sitting there and I'm going, if I don't, if I don't get honest about this, 
this isn't going to end. And so I walked in and I said, I just want to say I'm starting day one, uh, you know, October 17th, 1981. And luckily I've been sober ever since, but it was a matter of, I knew that wasn't going to stop if I didn't fess up. If it is something that's punitive and it isn't going to cause that, then, then again, you know, and it also depends if you have the kind of sponsor who's going to be really rigid and that's not going to work for you, then yeah, definitely find another sponsor, you know, but also ask yourself, okay, is this just going to, you know, I don't agree with what they're saying. You know, I love what OA has in their long version of the tools where it says, find somebody who has what you want and ask them how he or she are achieving it. You know, I hear people sometimes, well, I'm not resonating with that sponsor. Well, it sounds like what you're looking for is a clone of yourself. The last thing I needed when I was trying to get absent was a clone of myself. I needed some outside input. And so that's one of those things you have to decide. And, you know, there may very well be that your sponsor is too rigid and you need another one because you can't be honest. Or is it you don't like maybe what you're hearing because there's a part of your disease that's not you're not letting go of and you're the only one who can decide that in the, you know, the quiet of your house when you're all alone, because I, I can't. So I hope that helped, Lori. Thanks. Francine B. I have Francine B. Hi, John. Thank you so much. I'm from San Jose, California, and I really feel blessed to be here today. It's been a wonderful workshop. Um, I'm, I've been abstinent since uh, June 14th, 2017. And I was able to release 98 pounds. And I struggle because I still have those 15 pounds before I'm at what would be considered an ideal weight. <clears throat> it plays with my head and, and I have worked with a registered dietitian and, and I'm a bariatric patient. I had some very, very serious health issues uh, before my surgery. And thank you, God, almost every one of them is gone, including depression which plagued me. I've been in OA since 91, but there's one thing that I really struggle with, and I still struggle with shame. And I struggle with it because I've been in program since 1991. And I struggle with it because I did release weight. I, I've uh, got recovery from my bulimia since 91, but up and down uh, with my program. This abstinence feels different because I have surrendered everything, I give up. And, uh, and I wanna know, what do you do, or what can you suggest to help with feelings of shame and feelings of fear that I'm never gonna get to that ideal weight? And I've been told, you know, I do have still health issues and, and having a surgery that cuts out 85% of your stomach does make it harder. I live on a thousand calories. So if anybody's thinking of the surgery, you have to get really strict. Um, so would love to hear what you have to share. Sure. Thanks, Francine. Um, you know, it's interesting. I could mention I, I work at a, a treatment center, and part of our thing we do is education. We, we do an hour and a half of process group, and then we do an education group, and we have a certain curriculum we go through over a 35-day period. And one of them is on a topic called toxic shame. And because it's a huge part of addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or weight, in a lot of ways, you know, again, you know, a meth addict can walk down the street and nobody's going to say, oh, look at the meth addict or a heroin addict, you know, or even an alcoholic. But we, you know, like Orson Welles said, I love it. He had the funniest line. He said, uh, uh, 
what is it? Gluttony is not a secret vice, <laughs> which I just always thought was funny. Right. But it is. We I think we take on a lot more shame, and we talk, and we have a, it's a really good, and I don't know if I'm breaking rules here, uh, if you guys have ever heard of Brene Brown, she has a wonderful um, YouTube thing on that uh, that we always like to show because it helps. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of this can be that whole, oh, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy thing. I just remember what the phrase is, confirmation bias. You know, if there's a part of you that, that deep down says I'm shameful, you look for the things that will help reinforce that view in you. And maybe it's like, oh, I'm not hitting that 15 pounds I'm supposed to be losing. And that helps reinforce. And um, there's part of me that, that says, you know, yeah, I think we all want to be the healthiest way we can. But maybe this is as good as it's going to get. Can you find a way to be at peace with this? When I was in that other program, there was this wonderful person. I'm still friends with her, even though we, we have different programs now, named Gabby. And she was um, um, she was cute and attractive even when she came in, you know, and was very perky and all that. And she kept getting up going, well, when I get to my goal weight this, and when I get to my goal weight that, and, you know, and I finally walked up to her one day and I said, you know, Gabby, I got to tell you, you are the only one in the world who doesn't know you're at, not at goal weight. The rest of the world, if you walk down the street, you'll look fine. And I said to, to me, the second hardest thing other than putting the food down is declaring victory, being willing to say, okay, I'd like to lose some more. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it isn't, and like you said, we, we have all messed up our, our metabolisms. You know, I'll never get to that, that government weight that says I'm supposed to be 20 pounds less than I am. I mean, I went to an anorexic phase, phase and I look back now. When I first came in away, because, well, when I get to this weight, this will happen. Oh, women will think I'm great and all this. And I got to that weight and nothing changed. The only thing that happened is I got to that weight. And I go, okay, well, when I get to this, and so I said, you know, genius that I am. Oh, well, I just need to lose another 10 pounds. So I lose another 10 pounds. I don't feel indifferent. I don't like myself anymore. I don't feel any different. Oh, there must be another 10 pounds. And, and, and I have people coming up to me, you know, are you, are you okay? You know, it was in the middle of the AIDS crisis and they're like, dude. And I think I needed to do that as much as I shouldn't have to. I needed to do that so that I got the idea that there's no number on a scale that's going to make me like myself. And that, you know, it, it's an internal job. And, and again, if I got to that weight, then I'd say, well, maybe another five pounds and so on. And, and I, you know, again, I think I had to do that. I don't, I'm not proud of that. <laughs> you know, I would like to, have, you know, said it just, you know, I got it and, you know, saw the answer, but maybe just, you know, think about that, that maybe, you know, you can declare victory. And if, if something happens and you lose some more weight and you decide, well, you know, you know, for me, some of this is about, you know, I'm just getting too old to be eating certain things <laughs> or in the quantity I should. For me, it's a lot of those high, high calorie to volume things like cheese or dried fruit or nuts. You know, you know, get X number of calories, you get this much, <laughs> whereas I can eat the other things. And, and yeah, and so for me, and it, you're just getting aged. That's the other thing. It really sucks. <laughs> my, my old sponsor, Carl. I still get to see now because he comes on to uh, my kitchen sink meeting. Um, he used to say when I was when I was 35, I could eat this much. <laughs> Where's the camera? I could eat this much. 
Now I'm at this age, I get this much. And he goes, and you know what, folks? I mourn that difference every day. But it's just, again, things I can't change. I'm at the age I am. I'm glad I am. In fact, if it weren't for 12-step program, I know I wouldn't be here. So I will take not being at the perfect weight and alive. You know, and the other thing I said to a sponsee once who was really obsessed about this specific weight, I said, look, if you really care enough about that, that number on a scale, Cut off a leg. I guarantee you, instant weight loss. <laughs> you know. So. Okay, thanks, Francine. Thank you. Okay. And we have Celeste from New Jersey. I think I talked to you yesterday, didn't I, Celeste? Celeste, are you there? You have to unmute. There you are. Yeah, I'm doing so many meetings, I can't keep track. I know. <laughs> well, okay, so... I came into program 2016 and got abstinent right away. And, um, you know, I lost my weight and that wasn't really my goal. My goal was, um, and that was like 30 pounds. My goal was, you know, I didn't like how I was feeling the obsession and I, I was nourishing my soul with the program and, and a sponsor. I got a sponsor right away and, um, and I lost, you know, and so, so throughout that time, I've been picking, you know, I made a list, the, the red, the yellow, the green, and it was real clear. Now, I'm a very, very, very creative person. And so what was on my, on my green list, for instance, Ezekiel bread. oatmeal they were fine for a few years and i'm finding that i i okay with the ezekiel bread i was um you know i can't have flour sugar all the goodies and all that so i found myself toasting the ezekiel bread and i had to be like dark and then i would break it up i put olive oil on it and salt and they were my chips. So I'm finding now with the oatmeal, um, I'm eating too much of it, particularly at night, putting salt on it. And that's like my soft pretzel. Yep. So I heard it said in program a while ago that uh, I heard some people say, I can't eat anything anymore. So I guess my question to you is, did you ever, like, I'm, I'm afraid to, this is the first time I'm talking about it, and I'm afraid to mention it to, I, I did get a nutritionist in the beginning, an OA nutritionist, and I'm afraid to bring this to light with her or a professional because I'm feeling like I don't want to get rid of these foods because, well, I Ezekiel bread, I don't bring it in the house now but the oatmeal and um i'm like well what the heck else can i eat in the morning every day i have my oatmeal and my zero uh calorie yogurt and i'm like what the heck so there you have it well, I had my own personal battles with Ezekiel bread when I was in the other program because that was the one bread you were allowed. 
And I realized after a little while, nah, you know what it is, is it, it, it went back to a, a, an answer I gave earlier, you know, who's calling the shots, <laughs> you know, who's calling the shots in the thing. Now, you know, if it's a matter of having oatmeal, I mean, I like, I have my grape nuts every morning and I, but I have a specific amount. I, I have a little container like this for, um, for the cereal and I have a little container for this for my raisins. Boom, boom. I put them in and, and, and it is about, I, you know, I just know that, especially with my grape nuts, which I also call kitty litter, uh, <laughs> you put that in and, and, and I'm done. I don't have to think about it. Is it okay? Is that too much? Is it too little? I'm not, it's not, I'm not a prisoner of that. You know, but I just know this works for me. It's plenty to eat, and I'm, you know, I'm done. And if you can find a way to say, well, look, this is how much oatmeal, and, and you know, you know, you don't obsess on it. There's nothing wrong with that. If if it has more of an emotional connection, heck, you know, for a lot of us, oatmeal goes back to childhood. It has a lot of memories, and you know, maybe. Um, uh, it definitely you know, has. It's a calming. It's a nurturing. It's yep. a soothing. Um, I mean, again, is there anything wrong with it if you can eat it within a, uh, within a finite amount every day? Just because you like it and you look forward to it, I look forward to my grape nuts every morning. I don't, I'm you know. not doing that. What I'm doing is I'm having sometimes two bowls at night for my snack. Yeah, again, then you're, yeah, you're going to have to, you know, see if you can find it. I mean, you know, I always talk about doing three meals and a snack, and I call my snack sort of a, a deferred uh, dessert from dinner. I like to hold it, and I just had a lifetime of that. And rather than I tried to fight it, and I'd be, you know, like fingernails on chalkboard about eight or nine o'clock. <laughs> so uh, having something works for me. But see if you can find a way to make it work for you. Again, it comes back to the thing I said before about who's calling the shots. If you really feel it's, it's causing you psychological stuff, then maybe it's a problem. But maybe see if there's a way you can, you can, uh, uh, see if you can uh, work it out. I just want to see something. I, I think the person who was going to be next is, uh, I, I don't think I have access to the waiting room. <laughs> Somebody was asking to be let in the waiting room, but I don't think I have the thing for it. We have these things called waiting rooms for a for, uh, program, but I don't think I have access. But yeah, so um, to me, it's about, you know, whether you can call the shots, uh, you know, who you want calling the shots and see if there's a way to do, to do that. Um, uh, let me just see. I want to see if I can. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure something out here about this to see if I can. Uh, um, all of a sudden, I'm having problems with my. Whoop, I didn't need the screen share. <laughs> oh, you can see my screen. Hopefully, it wasn't anything I, I, I shouldn't be showing you. Nothing like what was up there before, anyway. <laughs> Let's see. Um, okay, unlock meeting. Okay, you unlocked. Okay, hang on. <laughs> I just. Somebody's going to come in, and hopefully, we won't have any more of the. Uh, the past problems. Uh, it's actually the, my, the person who was one of my uh, one of my uh, co-hosts uh, helping monitor everything before. So I want to make sure she got in there. So anyway, Celeste, I hope that helped, and thanks for the asking. Um, I'm gonna let's see. I lost Kathy's thing, but I have Ellen. Ellen with asterisks. Do you want to ask uh, a last question, or I'll see Kathy may come in and want to ask Hi. a question, which. Yes, she does. Okay, so Ellen, where are you? Hi, my name is Ellen. Um, Hi, Ellen. I'm from New Jersey, formerly Brooklyn. Um, so, well, as far as the oatmeal goes, I would have a double portion of it at night, but I wouldn't eat it plain. I would have to put the fake maple syrup on it, and then I would constantly binge on it. To me, that's binging. So it's like, don't you can't put salt on it because that just makes you 
like it better. But my question really is um, about exercise um, and, you know, trying to stay healthy. And the last um, few weeks, I've just been in my pajamas all day, not going out. I have videos. I have YouTubes that I can do. And I was doing it for three and a half months since COVID started that I was abstinent. And um, I did stop for some reason, even while I was still abstinent. And then I was, I binged for two weeks. I'm back on day six. And I know people have it so much worse than me physically. You know, I, I, I can walk, even though sometimes my back will hurt or my legs, but I just can't seem to get myself to do it. I don't know if you can help me with that, because I think sometimes it goes hand in hand with eating healthy and as far as, you know, taking good care of myself. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it was so funny. I've been at World Service, uh, you know, conferences at least twice where exercise was put on the uh, agenda as being a new tool. And both times it was shot down. And, and for well, my opinion, good reason is that it took away from our primary purpose, which is about the food. I, I always say about that topic, I said, there's a lot of really great liver cleanse things out there, but AA has never gotten into that because a bad liver is the result of drinking, but it's not, you know, their problem. Well, weight and stuff like that is the result of our thing. And that's the reason I didn't get it. However, <laughs> I'm a huge believer in it myself. I'm a huge believer in it. And I mentioned it to my sponsees. I don't make them do that, but I, I, I tell them for me, um, it's a, it's a great natural antidepressant for me when I start doing it on a regular basis. And I'm not just talking about walking, you know, I, I have to do something that gets my heart rate up to more than normal. And, and if I do that, I feel better, but I understand exactly what you're talking about. It's inertia. You know, uh, when I'm using my exercise thing, it's great. If I stop for a while, if I injure something, it's, it's like, uh, I got to get back in it. And I, I just tell, you know, if it goes more than a week or so, I just have to say, okay, this is going to suck for the first couple of them <laughs> and realize that and know that at some point I'm going to get back into it and I'm going to be like, oh, it's time to go. I got to go do this. And then the other thing I can say about exercise is I really have to have a set time. I have to have a routine. And we've been telling this to all of our patients is with COVID going on for your sanity, have some kind of routine right now. Because if you don't, you know, boom, the day goes by. And, uh, you know, with me, when I was doing, doing a thing on a regular basis, boom, seven o'clock at night, I've got to get on that thing. You know, yeah, maybe I've got to finish something up. But the trouble is, if you don't have something like that, all of a sudden, it's eight o'clock, it's nine o'clock. Oh, geez, I forgot to get on. Now I can't get on because if I go on too late, then I can't get to sleep. But try and do something. And again, maybe open your, your horizons and don't just have such a, 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 you know, a narrow thing of what exercise can be. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be you know, you have yoga at home. It could be going and taking a good long walk. If you got somewhere that's like a, like a good hill, you know, go that. We have a thing up there where we live where it, it, you go up one hill, then down, and then up the other hill, and then down. And we call it walking the W, you know, because it looks like a W. But so anyway, that's it. And, uh, I'm going to list Kathy as the last word. Kathy. I don't know if that's the Kathy I'm thinking of or not. Kathy. Can you hear, can you uh, hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Um, thank you very much for the workshop. Um, a lot of the things you said were very helpful. I also wanted to ask you, at the beginning, you put something up that was about the food and yeah. 
and I didn't, I wasn't able to capture what it said, but it, it was something I liked. Could you okay, hang on. put Let, that up again? I'm going to try. Hang on. Uh, here we go. Let's see if I can uh, do this again. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Thank you. It's not about the food. I'll leave it. I'll leave it for a minute. It's not about the food unless it's about the food. Then it's all about the food until it's not about the food. And again, to me, that encapsulates what OA is about. You know, at the end of the day, it's really not about the food. But the thing is, is if you're into the food and you're eating, then it's all about the food because until you get the food down. You know, you're not going to get much else out of the program, and so once it's, once you you, you can, it has to be all about the food until it's not about the food, and then just I'll put a coda on that. Once it's not about the food, then it's about recovery and it's about the steps and it's about you know working on changing ourselves personally so that we become better people and and work on ourselves, which is again why today I mean. I used to, years ago, I would pretty much just do talk about steps in general. And then the first time I, I've I've done this workshop twice at Vision for You conferences in Newark. And the first time I did it, and we got got like three or 400 people in the room. I got like mobbed at the end of the uh, the session. Because again, I was talking all about steps and I was talking about some of this. And they came up and go, this is all good and well and good, but how the hell do I do it? You know, you didn't mention that part. So I tried to talk a little more now about the physical things. It's, you know, it's not, again, once you get past that, it's, it's about getting to the steps, work on that. That's the important thing. But in, in the early days, until you get that food down and keep it down, you're, you're only going to get a, a, a slight benefit from, you know, from, um, uh, you know, from the steps and everything. But as soon as you got it down and, and, and you're hitting the rubber meets the road, uh, that's when it gets harder, you know? And, and I, I have people who, um, I have people come over. I, I, they all get shuttled to me because they, everybody here knows I'm also an AA. So I get the AA crossovers who come over a lot. And uh, somebody before introduced themselves and said, uh, I'm so-and-so and the credits don't transfer, which is a line a lot of us use from who are in multiple programs, um, you know, and I'll get these, these people that are in AA for a long, long time, you know, and uh, some of them are circuit speakers. They're, you know, they're, they go all over the world, but they come in and they're 300 pounds or, they're, you know, significantly overweight. And I tell them the same thing. I said, and excuse my language, the last one's the bitch. The last thing that is between you and life unvarnished is going to be the hardest one. And there's a lot of people who do whack-a-mole. You know, they, they put down the, the booze and then they get into the food. Or they, they, they put that, the, the, I actually know a couple of you who got put down the food and ended up with an alcohol problem. It's just the opposite, right? Uh, I know other people who put down the food, they get into shopping, they get into sex, they get into internet. Because it's part of it, so I want the dopamine to be, you know, charging through my body. And, um and what could be better than food or any of those other things uh, uh, that you uh, might have used over the years? And I know that I mentioned before that article I wrote, which is food is deadlier than drink. That was actually the last part that said it's the last house on the block that's going to be the hardest. 
because now you just got to deal with life and you don't get, you don't get any go away time. You know, when people talk about, um, I used to hear that all the time about the, you know, uh, food won't solve your problems. Food's not going to help your problem. No, we're not idiots. We're, we're compulsive eaters, but we're not idiots. We know it's not going to solve our problem, but it gave us a little go away time, you know, but for me, that go away time got less and less and less because I knew I was doing the wrong thing and it wasn't helping after a while, but it was the only thing I knew how to do. And so that's what I kept doing. And so for me, um, it's about being willing to live life unvarnished, you know? And at the end of the day, and I'm going to end on this, I always say you take all of those 164 pages of the big book, which <laughs> it always drives me because we talk about the first 164 pages, but page 164 is the end of vision for you. Well, there's a heck of a lot of Roman numeral pages before that. So I think it's like 186 or something like that. With that whole section in the big book, go through it step by step. You take the 12 and 12s, both of May A and OA, and all the things that have been written about program, and you boil them down. You reduce them. To use a cooking term, so OA people will appreciate that. You reduce them. It comes down to three phrases. Accepting the things we cannot change, having the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And, you know, there's all versions of knockoffs of that simple thing everywhere. Again, we have to do this ecumenical thing now in program. So we'll talk about, like, there's a thing called smart recovery, and they work on cognitive behavioral therapy. And what's one of the things? Well, realizing the things you can change, and the things you can't, and realize what you should do. And I'm like, it's the freaking serenity prayer. Or they'll quote uh, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, where, you know, this guy wrote a, a book you know, he was a concentration camp survivor and talked about life is suffering and, and you got to deal with that. And essentially it came down to, I can't change whatever's going through. I can only change my reaction to it. Again, serenity prayer. That's what all of this was about. But in the beginning, and I'll wrap up with this, it's all, bring it back to, it's not about the food, unless it's about the food. And then it's all about the food until it's not about the food. But as soon as it's not about the food, get into the steps. So anyway, I want to thank you for, for listening. I thank you, these brave 119 people who stuck through this freaking marathon, ran 15 minutes more. I said three and a half hours. We're not going to need that, but I'll put it down anyway. But as it turns out, it was. And now I need to go get a throat lozenge. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for everything. I don't know if Jeff is there. Jeff's probably walked away because he's here. just, oh, you, oh my God, he's still here. Uh, anything else you want to wrap it? Oh, just remember, donate.oalaig.org uh, uh, if you want to help keep these kinds of things going. Anything and, else, Jeff? Uh, did, you want, did, uh, did you have any sort of uh, contact information you wanted to leave? Uh, because people are already emailing me to get to you. Oh, oh uh, okay. Um, yeah, maybe John is food. Keep emailing me. That's fine. Well, no, that's okay. I mean, I guess John at foodrelapse.com would be the easiest because otherwise I got to sit and spell out and everything. John at foodrelapse.com. It'll get to me. Okay. Uh, and it'll save me about 20 or 30 emails. I got you. I got you. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you very much, John, for this. As, uh, as always, very compelling. I'm sure everyone shares that. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll leave the room open for about three or four minutes so people can chat.